Evening all and welcome to Kino Kingdom 56. 56 episodes of solid gold. And I can't believe we've gone 56 episodes, Rupert, and not watched a bad or mediocre film. They've all been absolute bangers for absolute over a year and a half now. Quality through and through. They've certainly <laughs> been of a certain quality. Um, I uh, Speaking of films that are of certain qualities, I finally uh, went up my charity shop runs and found something that was like lived up to live up to what I want from charity shops. I picked up Dolph Lundgren in cover up with Lou Gossett Jr. Um, and I couldn't work out. I thought his name was Louis Gossett Jr. But is it Louis Gossett Jr., Louis Gossett Jr. or Lou Gossett Jr.? Um, what do I know him as? Lou? I think Lou Gossett. Hang on, Louis. I can't it remember makes, if this Louis or Lou. It makes you question it, doesn't it? Mm, I it thought does. it was Louis Gossett Jr., but it might be Lou Gossett Jr. I might have been saying it wrong for the last 38 Lou, years. I can't remember. Which is weird, because my first words were Louis Gossett Jr., so I must have been wrong from the start. My mother was like, no, m- mumble do, but It's weird, because my, my first words are David Patrick Kelly, so... <laughs> well, my second group of words is actually Patrick Kilpatrick. So, <laughs> that man gets shot in <laughs> in the last man standing Bruce Willis. He gets shot in the chest so intensely that he flies backwards through an entire saloon and then does like a double backflip down some steps at the middle of the street where Bruce Dern looks at him and shakes his head. <laughs> is that right at the start? <clears throat> it's right at the start, yeah. yeah, yeah. That is immediate, isn't it? He does not yeah. last. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, and he's also, I think he's the Sandman in, I want to say, Death Warrant, the John claude Van Damme film. He's like a good bad guy. Clearly couldn't get Brian Thompson in. They were like, oh, just get just get Patrick Kilpatrick in. He's got, he's got a weird smile. Uh, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, before we go into anything, but I know we've got uh, quite a few Arkans our responses, um, and I've got quite a few films to go through. Some of them maybe I'll breeze over more than others. Who can tell? Uh, have you? Um, so this, the theme with me today has been like this sort of an adventure theme, and then like dodgy nineties action, which is my my forte, uh, and then and then a couple of others sort of ones in between. What have you got a theme for yours, or was it just? Oh, not at all. Mine, there's no rhyme or reason to mine whatsoever. No, they're all over the shop. Absolutely, oh, different nice. eras, different genres. Do any of them star Ted Levine? Uh, don't believe so. Hang on, let me just check that for a minute. <laughs> just go through the list. The, the reason I ask, Rupert, is because, you know, um, last year for your birthday, which was uh, in June, I managed to get you Tony Howes, like a birthday message from Tony Howes. Oh, yeah. Well, I actually had a message from Ted Levine oh, to really? celebrate your, your birthday. Yeah, he's, he's, you've obviously listened to the podcast. And you sort of messaged me and said, oh, I know last year you had Tony Howes on the podcast. Can I just send Rupert a birthday message? Um, I haven't actually listened to it yet because it's been a bit of a rush. But I'll, um, hmm. So this is a birthday message to you from Ted Levine. Hmm. Hey, Rupert, this is, uh, this is Ted Levine. I just want to say happy birthday to you. And I uh, hope you're having a good time over there. And maybe uh, having yourself uh, some thirsty cake and go. So, uh, 
I like to do it sometimes. I had a bit of trouble understanding that, Rupert. I, I, I won't lie, I, I, I didn't pick up every word, but I'm so, so glad to hear that. I don't even know if he actually sound, said happy birthday. It didn't sound unlike like the, the rigging on an old-fashioned galleon, did he? Creaking. <laughs> Creaking in a gentle Creaking storm. Creaking as the yeah. boat rocks. Yeah. It's like you, when you're talking to someone with a thick accent, sometimes you, you pick up key words or their facial expressions. But with that, I really struggled. I mean, I'm pretty it, sure they weren't words at the end. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just a groaning sound. But thank you so much, Ted, or is it Edward? I don't know. I think well, he's, he's marketed as Ted, isn't he, on everything? So I guess it's, yeah, he likes Ted. Maybe yeah. Teddy to his closies. Um, so yeah, that's happy birthday message from Ted Levine. <clears throat> I hope I, I hope so I get one off Ted Levine. Um. And yeah, so the Arkans that was it was a popular one this month because this episode, sorry, because we had a few responses because I don't know if you remember, we did one that was Eric Idle to, to um, Kelly McGillis, yes. which was the main one. And then there was a backup one, uh, which was um, Herbert Lom to GW Bailey, which, which was I thought we wouldn't get many responses. We've had about two or three in. So mm-hmm. uh, did you do both or did you do one? I did actually. One? I did do both. Oh, well, I, I'm not sure that either of them is going to be a winner but uh it was fun nonetheless uh do, did you want me to go first well should we start with eric idle to kelly mcgillis then yeah go on then so do you want to do, you want to do yours first yeah so i can only manage a full step here uh so eric idle is in casper with christina ritchie who's in matrix resurrections with jada pinkett smith who's in collateral with tom cruise who's in Top Gun with Kelly McGillis. Nice. That's good. Mm. That's good. I don't re- I remember Jada Pinkett Smith being in um, in Collateral, but I've only watched that once, and I think I was drunk. Yeah, so. she's at the start, isn't she? Um, Jamie okay, Fox so. chats up in the uh, taxi. Does he show her his mum? That's always my best chat up line. <laughs> it's not so much a line. <laughs> it's just an, an action. <laughs> yeah. It- I just I dress up as a mime beforehand as well, so they they assume at some point like I'm my ass out. Like, when I see a mime, I think if I look at you for long enough, you could turn around and you'll have arseless chaps on. That's that, well, that's what I did as a mime. I didn't last very long, to be honest. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was just a full step, which is pretty good. Um, I'm just looking at these. So we had uh, a one in from Max, who said, "I know I can do it quicker, but thought I'd share an Arkansas style that amused me because it has two Batman films in it." Eric Idle is in Baron Munchausen with Uma Thurman, who's in Batman and Robin with Chris O'Donnell, who's in Batman Forever with Val Kilmer, who's in Kelly with Kelly McGillis in Top Gun. So that's another four stepper. So he matched you there. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I like the Val Kilmer. Nice. Yeah, two two batsies, good. Uh, Laszlo, uh, our co-host, has said, "I feel like I'm getting worse at these, but never mind. <laughs> I have a lowly <laughs> force." Another. Another four-stepper. Kelly McGillis was in Top Gun with Meg Ryan, who was in French Kiss with Kevin Klein, who was in A Fish Called Wonder with John Cleese, who was in The Holy Grail with Eric Idle. That's another four-stepper. Actually, I don't know. This is quite... I've I, I just got these to read up, but I didn't actually do any research on them, so it'd be cool to see who wins. We've got a double one in from... Um, well, I can actually see the winner, I think. A double one in from uh, Lee and Ben, two listeners, but... Uh, I'm going to count them as one because it, it's funny because they've actually sent me um, 
they've actually sent me uh, like a picture that they took of of like how they like the bubbles that lead on to other actors and stuff and i i know how drunk they were when they did this so i'm going to count it as a single entry because their intelligence would have been halved from all the rum and fags it's true so they only counted as a single entity okay. <laughs> um so they said that eric idol was in shrek 3 with mike myers who was in austin powers gold member with tom cruise who was in top gun with kelly mcgillis which is Crikey. a three-step. So that's a good one. So that's the leader so far. But looking at this, I think, I think there's a winner here, Rupert. Okay. Uh, and that is Utah Smith has said Eric Idle. And I actually had to check this because I thought, really? Because I've seen that recently and I don't remember a minute. Eric Idle was with Harrison Ford in Hollywood Homicide. Bloody hell. As a cameo. Uh, who starred with Kelly McGillis in Witness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've never seen Witness. That's the one I know Laszlo's seen it and sent, me, sent us a video and it's 12 minutes of them building a barn. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yes, that was a mid-80s Peter Weir film. Uh, Peter Truman Show Weir. Uh, so it's a nice film. It's part of the, he goes undercover in like an Amish community. Um. But it's when Harrison Ford actually acted in films, so it's quite an interesting period for him. Um, oh, oh, there's a, a stunt one, a, a last, uh, a latter one. Sorry, uh, Kelly McGillis. This is from Transvaal. Kelly McGillis is in Top Gun with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is in Night and Day with Cameron Diaz, who is mm-hmm. in Shrek the Third with Eric Idle. Ah, that's a good one. <clears throat> yeah. So this, I, I like how everyone. I always like it when people take different routes, different routes. Yeah. Um. And how did you do with the Herbert Lom to G.W. Bailey or vice versa? Oh, my God. This one. <laughs> Preposterous. I don't even... I've, I lost count of the steps. There's so many. I'll help you. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I've got my fingers I, up. I I'll, think take, I was, I'll take my socks off so my toes might need to come into play as well. I was hampered by just having this obsession in reaching Ted Danson. <laughs> Just had to reach Dead Dancing at the expense of any logic. So anyway, before you do yours, I got to tell you how far I, got. I was lying in bed and I thought, right, I, you know, we we invented the Arkansas. Let's let's see how far I can get in it. So Herbert Lom, it was, it was Peter Sellers to Herbert Lom, and I went right, right. So Herbert Lom, with sorry to um, G W Bailey, Herbert Lom was in the Pink Panther films with Peter Sellers, and that was it that was it that's as far as i got and i thought it was a stupid game for kids and i just wanted to sleep angrily <laughs> okay well let me show you how it's done okay herbert long was in a shot in the dark with peter sellers who was in dr strange love with george c scott who was in the exorcist 3 with brad deriff who was in alien resurrection with leland <clears throat> orson who was in saving private ryan with ted danson who was in Three Men and a Baby with Steve Guttenberg, who was in Police Academy with G. W. Bailey. So I could see. I was wondering how you, where the obsession with Ted came from. The obsession with Ted. <laughs> my, my I just third... wanted to get to Three Men and a Baby. Because <laughs> you knew that you had the fork, you could go Salak, you could go Guttenberg, <laughs> key fork. We should try to every Arkansas should should get to Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> anything via Ted Danson, right? Um, so we had okay, so that's yours. That was how many steps was that? Six, five, I six, seven. Seven. seven, seven, yeah. Okay, so we had, um, so uh, 
Laszlo came in with it and said, okay, it wasn't so hard, actually. I'm sure Bert Kwok has been in a Bond film, which would save a step, but I couldn't remember which one. So in six steps, Herbert Lom was in Pink Panther with Peter Sellers. I wonder if anyone else takes any other route with Herbert Lom. Herbert Lom was in Pink Panther with Peter Sellers. He was in Casino Royale, not that one, with Ursula Andress, who was in Doctor No with Sean Connery, who was in The Untouchables with De Niro, who was in Casino with Sharon Stone, who was in Police Academy 4 with G.W. Bailey. So I like that one. That was good. I finally got him not that one in. It should be like, yeah, how many how many of our little commas like not that ones can you get in? <laughs> not him, the other one. Um, so we've got, uh, and then uh, Liam Ben again came in uh, with Herbert Long was in Return of the Pink Panther with Christopher Plummer, who was in Knives Out with Chris Evans, who was in Avengers: Age of Ultron with James Spader, who was in Mannequin with G. W. Bailey, a four step, a quite a good four stepper that really covers a lot of ground there. I, like when you get to an Avengers film, I wouldn't think the way out would be via Mannequin. I wouldn't have seen that one coming. That's a four stepper. Um, and I think I think that's it. That's that's the, um, the so yeah, so uh, the winners of the the two stepper from Eric Idle to Kelly McGillis is Utah Smith, so clap for that. And Lee and Ben uh, won with a four stepper from Herbert Lom to GW Bailey. Astonishing. That's good. Um, also, uh, I, I got sent a, a message from um, Utah Smith that really, not tickled me, but it sums up a lot of the kind of films we watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he actively seeks these out. <clears throat> and he says he looks for films, well, like you know, these 90-minute actioners or thrillers, where it's the, it basically says, this is what's going to happen. It's happening. It's happened. <laughs> and I thought that really does, so those films are just like smash cut at the end, right? Like, plot, plot's done. It's finished now. Yeah, so I like that. This is what's going to happen. It's happening. It's happened. So, yeah, I, I do I do like that. Yeah, um, they just exist like vapor, don't they? Just disappear as soon as they're done. On yeah, to the next good. one. Enjoyed that. Good. Okay, so, um, yeah, do you want to kick us off? I've, I've spoken for a long time. Um, so if you want to launch off with... Well, we may be able to start with something that we've both seen. Um, Spiderhead, because you've seen this, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I watched it a few days ago. Yeah. Um, so I suppose we can do a joint one here, can't we? Uh, nice, I'm up for that. Yeah. Um, this is quite relevant. It's quite a new film on Netflix. No doubt everyone's got it in their face every time they turn turn on Netflix. Um, so this is a, yeah, this is a very new film uh, from Joseph Kaczynski, who is having great success with Top Gun Maverick, which has just reached a billion dollars, apparently, worldwide. Astonishing, really. So I was not expecting that from a Top Gun reboot, I've got to say. Sorry, sequel. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, Spiderhead is a kind of smaller scale sci-fi movie, I guess, uh, where, is it say in the future? It must be. I guess it is. I don't, it well, not really. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, I suppose. It's just very high-tech science yeah. facility. So you, these prisoners are held in this science facility because uh, they've agreed to join this these experiments. Uh, Chris Hemsworth plays the lead scientist, and he's basically testing various uh, drugs on people in these control conditions. Uh, but, of course, he being like, a, a literally cackling evil scientist it goes beyond just making them a bit angry or a bit horny. Um, Miles Teller is the one of the prisoners, uh, and he's the one who will eventually start fighting back against this unethical madness. Um, I don't know how you felt about this, but I, I'll I'll say some things 
first of all i liked certain things about it <laughs> that's how conversations work uh, yeah. before before you talk i'm just going to say some things <laughs> okay wicked um <laughs> so go on off your chart <laughs> say your uh, things saying things with my voice oh. <laughs> and on a podcast called many talk um <laughs> yeah i like the 70s and 80s soft rock soundtrack i like that because i thought there's something about those really bland songs <laughs> that just has a kind of it kind of reeks of amorality somehow it's kind of like the whole uh, american psycho thing that he's just so into like the blandest period of genesis and stuff you know <laughs> so i quite like that aspect of it that was good um yeah and there are some quite good ethical quandaries, I suppose, early on anyway. I like this, this bit where Miles Teller is, he's asked to authorise this kind of rage drug to be administered to this imprisoned woman. And there's and there's quite a lot built up by that point because there's all this pressure on him from um, kind of the authorities. There's also his previous relationship with this woman and that but there's also the woman's previous crimes because because she's a criminal so there's all these kind of things coming to bear on the situation and i like moments like that um but i just felt like it never really ended up exploring the possibilities of its premise like it's one of those it's a classic example of a great premise and then the premise is just used to feed a series of rather cliched ideas i found i i also found it kind of ironic that it's it tries to contrast these very manufactured encounters where people are basically put together fed drugs to see what happens sort of thing so you've got these manufactured encounters and it's meant to be really juxtaposed against the very real intimacy of the two main characters miles teller um and this other lady um and yeah, I thought there's just zero chemistry between them. So it didn't really, it just came across as another contrivance somehow, you know. So, yeah. Uh, mm. uh, what did you think? I, I think I, I felt very similar to you. It, what I found was when we were discussing it, you kind of summed it up for me in that you, when we were discussing it, you said it felt a bit like a, a sort of extended episode of, or like extended average episode of Black Mirror, where it, it was when after i finished watching it and i found that it was based on a short story i thought yeah that makes sense because it felt like an idea that didn't really or in this case was filmed in such a way it didn't hold up to like a full 90 minutes yeah it felt like it, it was sort of like it's it, it felt very um mechanical in how it you know it sets up this this premise and then you understand the risks and then there's like the, the futurist and turns and, and then it sort of reaches its climax and i thought uh, like you said, I didn't so much notice the the laugh chemistry. I just thought, I just thought the whole thing felt very put together, um, and I, it it didn't seem to flow. It was like you know they're in this complex and they're having these conversations, and then and I, I because because I really wasn't invested in what was going on. I didn't even notice the people who were supposed to be falling in love. If you know what I mean, because everything was just so bland. Yes. Um, and and then. What I found, what distracted me a lot through it was I could not believe uh, two things. One is how much Miles Teller looks and sounds like a young John Cusack, and two, why he had Sam Worthington's haircut from Man on Ledge. 
I, I just thought like you needed you need it's like he was having his haircut and then he had to shoot off just before she finished and she's like oh no no you've got a little ponytail that you could probably tie back in an elastic band he's like I've got to go I've got to go this is going to be it and it's I was really like, important Joseph Kaczynski is like knocking out a 90s schlocky thriller between takes and Top Gun quick there you go. Um, he, he I honestly was thinking do you remember we watched William Cat in White Ghost and there's a scene I'll in that where she forget. she cuts his hair, and uh, we we were saying we were shouting at the screen, "Keep going, keep going," because she stopped like at the wrong point. He's like, "Right, that's your haircut." Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, and yeah, and and it was like that. And this every time he turned into profile, I just thought. And when he was like kissing kissing the the woman and, and running his hands through his hair, I thought, um, surely she's kissing him, thinking, "Oh, he needs that trimmed back a bit." You're like that's is that a rat's tail, a curly rat's tail? Um, so, but apart from that, yeah, the soft rock, it was, it was, I guess it's supposed to be so bland that you, you know, he's yes, obsessed with it. Yeah. I'm going to kind of numb everyone. But then, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It felt like, I can imagine the, the short story would have more impact than, yeah. than this, but it just, it felt like you said, when you made a joke then that it seems like it was filmed between takes on top gun. I usually quite like these. Um, I think if this was. And 90s genuinely if this was released in the mid 90s as a film i would have thought oh it's all right but yeah. I, it's like you know 20 30 years on you're like right i expect something more yes you know you when you when you're taking the piss out of um glossy blandness um because the film is beautifully shot that you know yeah. everything it looks it looks like a holiday destination but is that that's not when you like you said when you we're taking the piss out of something's sort of vapidity if that's a word i think um, it is actually you can't. Well, even if it's not, I'll edit that and change the word. If people, listen, people listening to the podcast, I'm like, yeah, there's just something about its blandness, and, and then come back to it. Um, but it, 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 it and, has, it's, and it's not even your voice. It's just it's Ted Levine, just saying. But yeah, I think it, to, to make the comments it's trying to make, it needed to have more to it, basically. Uh, yes. When it fin- when it finished, um, Faye turned to me and said, "I found that quite boring." And I said, yeah, I think I enjoyed is, it more than she did, but I'm already forgetting it. But that's not a good sign. If it's like a 90-minute movie, which basically the last half hour is just pure schlock, it's like, it shouldn't be boring, really, should it? No, no, it, I, is, it should yeah. at least. I feel like this is Kaczynski's first real dud, to be honest. Yeah, he's got quite an intense... Um, he's got a relatively short sort of um, filmography, but he has really been... He came out swinging, didn't he? He's banging about, yeah. Um yeah, and and yeah, it's just disappointing because he has made films with real heart before, like Only the Brave. It's like it's all about human relationships and it works really well. But here, it needed more heart. I think it just felt very yeah, very concocted, uh, only manufactured. Yeah, like Sorry, an experimental no, I... drug. <sighs> um, so yeah, that wasn't it. Wasn't for me. Yeah. Wasn't the best, was it? Um, in five, if five years, if we're still doing this podcast, we'll say you'll mention it, and I'll say, did I see that? It'll be one of those films. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, while we're uh, on the subject of Netflix, I might as well very quickly mention Stranger Things four because nice. I suppose there will be people watching this. Um, and I haven't quite seen it to the end, but I've seen up to the last episode. Of course, the last episode's over two hours long. Over really? two hours. That must be quite good, episode. though, because I, I understand. I mean, the thing is, you say it like that, 
but I mean, the, one of the whole reasons I don't really watch the the Savalas is just because of the investment of time. Yes. So whether it's the last episode is two hours or split into two or three, it doesn't matter, does it? People are still it doesn't make any difference. Their asses. Well, yeah. yeah, there's yes. going to be filler. There's going to be filler. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, well, I'll just say if anyone hasn't seen it, I, d- I suppose you already know if you're going to watch it. Really, I, it is a bit of a departure from the other seasons because a lot of this season is spent slightly tediously in a Russian gulag so you get that and it's very much the formula we've seen before so there's lots of esoteric clues which the young people in the show the growing band of young people in the show are weirdly attuned to all these weird clues so they just follow the dots with complete ease I mean, there are there are whole episodes where different characters in different places are deducing what to do next in completely different locations. And, and their deductions are based purely on assumption. And somehow it's like it becomes a harmonic symphony of action. Don't know how. And I, I, there's something I really noticed in this season as well, is that the thing about Stranger Things is it, it doesn't it doesn't really do drama as such, I wouldn't say. Well, it's not character drama, I wouldn't say. There are maybe like four or five scenes across the first eight hours where the drama is directly based on character dynamics. It's much more about constant, intense peril. It's all about peak moments. And I think that's okay for a trash horror film, which lasts 90 minutes. But I think if you're going for a series of this length, it does get a bit repetitious, got to say. Like I mean, the 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 kind of films it's referencing were by their nature, and in fact, to their credit, defined by their brevity and their efficiency. And I just don't think that kind of pacing and rhythm can be effectively transposed onto a series where individual episodes are longer than a VHS tape. So, yes, it's still really beautifully made. Good production values some great performances I, I really like Winona Ryder I think she she's exceptionally good um as this kind of quite broken <laughs> housewife type single mother lady and and it does I love the score the synth score so that's great but it is formulaic and very ADHD um yeah I mean <clears throat> has Millie Bobby Brown managed to shift her cold yet nah she's still bummed still up the- She's a punk deck machine. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I can't really comment on it. I, I, I know that <clears throat> it's very much. It seems like a water cooler show that everyone seems to be obsessed with. I, I was on a family weekend away, and there were um, people saying they haven't watched it since the first season. They're kind of being brought back in to this just because it's such a hot topic at the moment. Um, but yeah, never trending, some would say. Oh, my least favorite word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, no, I, I mean, do you think this last two-hour episode, you, you're going to see it through, I guess? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like it. I mean, it's it's fine. It's just, it's like, well, I was talking about vapour earlier, and it is like that. It's something which I can't imagine being particularly rewatchable because it's so based on, like I say, these peak moments and uh, shock events. It's not so much about character building and dynamics stuff like that it's much more about these big events which when the, won't have the same impact i don't think 
when they um, when they're in the Russian gulag, is there any point where Millie Bobby Brown looks off to the left and just sees a wet dog staring forlornly at a man in a fetal position in a puddle? Weirdly, no. There are no references to Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker. Unfortunately, you should have had references to Stalker though. Imagine if that had to happen. You know, like you get the like the the Wilhelm scream in like a lot of films. Yes. If it was just like since the twenties or thirties, that was just a reference. So, but like an episode of Columbo or something, and he would say, "Oh, one more thing," and then he'd look at the window and go, "Is that bloke lying in a puddle with a dog looking at him?" And then he would just go back to the script, and it, I'd be over the moon if that happened in every film. Um, <laughs> I watched. I watched. This is another one we can both discuss because I know we've both seen it. I watched Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Well, you say um, we've both seen it. I've watched the first ten minutes, and then I stopped. Oh, I don't really? Watch anymore? What? What could possibly have happened in the first ten minutes? Oh, just a, a parade of tedious, weightless CGI. I just thought I can't be bothered with this. Oh, but it's more was... not being in the mood than just making a massive judgment about the whole film, really. I, I've got to say, I, I will say, um, like I'll keep this really brief because I don't really have much to say about it. I I, I, I enjoyed it up to a point, but I, I think I've gone through like a weird transitional phase with with Marvel where I was completely just ambivalent about them for so long, and then I eventually watched that Spider Man one. I don't know which one it was, uh, Long Way Home, I think, and it was okay. And then I watched a couple of others and they were fine and I didn't mind Black Widow and everyone else seemed to hate it apart from me. And I think I was so dismissive of it for so long that now that I watch it, I have like no expectations. And because I don't care about the overarching plot or how they tie into each other or how this is a fallen from WandaVision, yeah. I just completely watch it with no expectations. And so they're all just okay to me. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd watch one that was like amazing. If you said, Britt, you've got to watch this. It's just like a real study of drama and writing i wonder if i would just think oh, sorry right. like if it's just i'm impenetrable to like the quality of them now i just they're just all seven out of tens the thing is i have seen most marvel movies and i, I think i've kind of settled on the same position as well to be honest that they're they're all right although i've got to the point now where like i say i i i will just i will just turn it off if i'm not in the mood because i know exactly what i'm going to get anyway and i suppose that's what they are it's just comfort food really, isn't it um well so yeah i mean i've got no like it was fine i you know it came on and i enjoyed it um i wouldn't watch it again and to be honest in my mind it's already confused with um the previous film i, I just they just things that happen and i look at the colors um but yeah so that's the review of that quite frankly yeah. i will say the watch one it will for say, the though, colors when you see um benedict cumberbatch wearing like normal clothes he mm. looks like an absolute fist. He's got yes. the ridiculous '90s, like Beppe beard, and then he's got his like the little the grey flax. You think you look like an absolute foof, and he's got his shirt button done up to the top. It's like yes. you just. I I, I think like it doesn't it doesn't help that I find him inherently charmless. So that is a struggle in itself. I think he's a very fine actor, but I just he just doesn't have a roguish charm at all i think he has a, a certain creepiness which works well in certain roles <laughs> creepiness yeah uh, like a darkness you know i don't i you know i don't believe you know the way that uh what's his face robert downey jr you know the way that he can he can be kind of like smug 
but at the same time quite charming mm. and subtly self-deprecating. I do not get that. I know he's a completely different character, but I, I just... Uh, he's still essentially meant to be a kind of like smug but roguishly charming hero, and I I don't get the charming bit at all. Is he supposed? I wouldn't get that. I, I just um, <clears throat> towards the start of the film when he's he's at the um, he's got no no uh, chemistry at all with. Is it Rachel McAdams? It is. is yes. the, yeah. Like when at the start when it's her wedding to some other dude and he's there and he's drinking and having he's sort of stumbling over his words. I just thought. Like you had no chemistry. <laughs> like, no, that was just... a weird scene, wasn't it? Because I did actually see that scene, and yeah. I, it was like, and it's I couldn't remember what their relationship was before, but I figured they must have been together or something. But it was like, I think that scene was meant to be like, oh yeah, they're really they've got this like, underlying feelings for each other. But I just thought, it just seemed like oh well, the, the maybe thing people is... who'd met at a, a wedding before. Go back to the original as well. If you think if you the whole the whole his character arc, well, like with her, which is why I think he, even I at the low level that I kind of watch Marvel films just thought, well, it doesn't really make sense. Is when she was with him, the time when they had this sort of the the arc of love before any problems crept in, he was a total utter prick. So she she was attracted to like the real prickish qualities that were kind of written out of his character by halfway through the first film when he's a totally different person. Of course, so, yeah, he was a prick. So it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't make sense that she would. Like you know, he's a totally different person. Um, yeah, so that's Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness. Your brother keeps on saying there's another film called Everything Everywhere All of the Time um, that is basically this film but better. So I was sort yeah. of intrigued about that. Yeah, I do do intend to watch that as soon as possible. Oh. Everything Everywhere All at Once, I think it's called. Oh, sorry. It's got Michelle Yeoh on it, and it's pretty bonkers apparently. So yeah, I will watch um, that. So what's next for you then? Next on my list is clockwise hang on this is like a 90s film isn't it it's an 80s film this is a oh, mid 80s good. film <laughs> good which i watched weirdly on Britbox. box <laughs> oh, they um, finally named a channel after me <laughs> yeah uh it's just called brit's box actually it's just your telly so it's came and watched it on your tv yeah. no i um it's a mid 80s farce with john cleese he plays a head teacher who's invited to a conference in the East Midlands, but there's this confusion at the train station, which leads him to hit. Basically, he has to hitch a lift with one of his truant students, and everything goes downhill, and it gets increasingly slapstick as he's desperately making his way across the country to this uh, conference. Essentially, it's Faulty Towers, the road movie. I would say uh, he. Uh, yeah it all that that sounds that sounds like it could be good and it is almost no it is good to an extent it's it's one of those films i watched endlessly as a kid because it's one of the few vhs's we had um so you'd had no choice and it struck me actually when i was thinking about that that that'll never be a problem for any kid born after the advent of streaming you think about it you're never gonna it's not like the internet's gonna go a bit down so all you've got is like a copy of like i don't know overboard or something like that you just you're always going to have something or nothing really aren't you anyway it's you're, you're telling me yeah you poor little the poor little south Hampton, brother you were so poor that oh it was like oh 
Gath around children were going to take it in turns to hold the clockwork VHS, the <laughs> clockwise VHS. So what, what was the other choice? I mean, I my parents, my mum worked in a video shop when I was a kid. So what oh, was your choice? So you come on, you sit down with um, your 14 brothers and 12 sisters, all taking it in turns to look at cheese and smell it, but don't bite it, because that's all that's left. <laughs> Um, that's what we did down in Hampshire. What? So you had clockwise. What was the, what the other choices of films you um, had to watch over and over again? Let me think. Blues Brothers, but that's an, that's a good, that's a very rewatchable film anyway. Um, just trying to think of the ones I was allowed to watch. Really, I remember watching Raiders of the Lost Ark quite a bit. So that was one of them. So they're not bad films. They're pretty good, really. Just, just three um, of them. Uh, <laughs> there was a load of stuff. Obviously, there's a load of stuff like recorded off TV. But of course, half the time when you recorded stuff off TV onto a Betamax, it would be like you didn't quite start recording at the start of the movie, so you'd miss the first scene or something, or forget to press record again after pausing it for the advert, so you'd like miss a bit in the middle. Brilliant. Oh, those are the days, eh? Just watching incomplete movies on really low resolution. Um. Anyway, <laughs> on a on a fourteen inch black and white TV <laughs> yeah. that was turned to face away from you. Yeah, and was it unplugged. Um. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So clockwise. So I watched it a lot. The only bit that's really new to me this time, um, was is the fact that I realised that he's 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 the first headmaster of like a comprehensive school to be made chair of this conference. So and I and it's quite a clever little thing actually because it basically makes it so that even though he's a bit of a dick you don't treat him as a villain because he is actually kind of like like working up from the bottom rung if you see what i mean and so you're kind of rooting for him so that's quite clever so it basically is a series of vaguely amusing farcical set pieces really which are occasionally brilliant because of john cleese's physical comedy and his comic delivery and and uh, to be honest, it's, it's really his deadpan reactions that are funny because <laughs> something just appalling will happen and it's just the camera will be on his face and it'll just be like totally just still. But but you can see just the rage burning behind his eyes. It's brilliant. Like the bit where he tries to push a car out of this mud trap and he just ends up completely showered in filth. And it's the fact that he stands up afterwards and he just doesn't react. But you just know he's seething with rage. And I, I think if... If he'd gone full Adam Sandler and like kicked off, it wouldn't have been as funny. But but that's the genius. That is why John Cleese is so brilliant. And but overall, the comedy is actually pretty gentle. It's like it's wryly funny, I'd say, like a a decent British sitcom. So it's never really edgy. Um, there's even a scene where this 17 year old seduces this Porsche driver, which I thought was going to get creepy, but thankfully it didn't go there. I could have been dated that scene. Um, yeah. And it's a nice enough tour of Middle England, I suppose. And none of this obviously could happen in an age of mobile phones. In fact, you can't really have a story anymore about people getting lost in the countryside. Uh, so, yeah. So it's kind of yeah. dated in that regard, certainly. In fact, it's very dated in terms of its comedy style and tone. But I would say as a kind of accessible presentation of John Cleese's comedy skills, it is a bit of a masterclass, so worth it. it without him, it's just nothing, really. Uh, we, it's, we were talking about this um, <clears throat> not so long ago, one of the previous episodes, about how um, I really like slapstick comedy done well, and yes. you basically got Jim Jim Carrey, and that's it. So it, it, I will watch this because I I do like um, 
there's something about like British comedy from the eighties. Um, and another film that I, this kind of reminds me of just looking at this is the, the Tom Sharp Wilt books. And that was made into a film with yes. uh, Smith and Jones. And that's got, mm-hmm. it, it's not consistently funny, but there are set pieces in there that I find so funny that I'm happy to like sit through the kind of bits that don't, don't hit just for those, those moments of delivery. Um, mm. And yeah, looking at this, but this says here on Wikipedia for his performance, Cleese won the 1987 Peter Sellers Award. And I thought, oh, Peter Sellers Award for comedy doesn't exist, apparently. It just did a bit of a Google in there. Just a thing they made up for this film, apparently. <laughs> um, um, yeah, there's some funny characters along the way as well. Like, I did, I really like Stephen Moore's character, um, who's like this teacher. I think he's like a music teacher or something, but his character never finishes a sentence because he's just so socially awkward. You just start saying something and just trail off. It's brilliant. You listen to what he says and literally every sentence is unfinished. It's amazing. But yeah, it's just, it's nice little touches like that. It's gentle, but it's funny because of Cleese mostly. Nice. And yeah, I noticed that Jeffrey Palmer's in this as well. And I like him. What, what, um, He's, he's, he's basically the British Walter Matthau, isn't he, in terms of facial yeah. expressions? Where is um? Really play, you... He plays a really, really posh upper class man, believe it or not. Really... Oh, really? Usually he plays like a little ginger girl on a tricycle, <laughs> like a high pitched laugh. I don't know what that's about. In fact, he did. He was the stunt for uh, stunt oh, yeah. double for Arnie in Terminator Two when he jumps to the truck. Um, what is? What? Where did you watch this? Uh, it was on BritBox, which I, I had um a trial. So that's literally all I watched, I think, on there, because all the rest was like only fools and horses and stuff like that, which I <laughs> okay. care if not to watch. <laughs> you just try to revisit your childhood yeah. where, oh, my mum and we were young and we had nothing. And then, oh, can we, can we, it's winter, mummy, can we close the windows? No, we're too poor to do that, Sant. Oh, <laughs> can I try? We're so poor that we can't afford food, so we don't have the energy to stand up and close the windows. Can I, can I give you a hug, mummy? No, we, we haven't got enough money for that, son. Oh, can we turn the TV around so we can see what's on it? No, son, you don't understand. We're too poor to do that. We just have to listen and imagine what we could be saying. Um, with um, what was I going to say? Yeah, uh, the other thing is you talking about BritBox. Um, on the, I just I know it's been your birthday recently, and Transvaal got you a, a gift, and it just tickled me. It's just another thing about Rakuten, the worst streaming service. Mm-hmm. Where he, he wanted to get you um like a ten pound gift voucher for it, but he couldn't because you can only buy gift vouchers for Rakuten to the values of five pounds or four pounds fifty. <laughs> of course, of course. Like I should have, I should have just guessed that. Like, how did that? When, when I mean, I can kind what, of almost understand the four pound fifty thing more because <laughs> some of the well, that's one of the like pricing tiers. But fight, but what's the point in then jumping up fifty p? Or not doing like yeah nine quid or and just, or yeah. T- like well, yeah. Why so, just yeah, have a voucher for any movie? Uh, anyway, whatever. How would it's that happen? How would service, so. it is the worst, and it just proves it again and again. If you've got a recruiting story, the worst streaming service, please email us at themenotalkingoutlook.com. Just, I don't even know that would pass the meeting, to be honest. Oh, should we get some gift vouchers? That's a brilliant idea, Mister Recruiting. Yeah, four pound fifty and a fiver. What about? Oh, he's gone. <laughs> Um, so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Now you've, um, you've talked about an eighties film. I'm gonna talk about a. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, an, uh, a film from 1990 uh, starring, I'm going to say, Lou Gossett Jr. 
and Dolph Lundgren, a, a film called Cover Up from 1990. Now, I remember the cover of this from when I used to work in a video shop, and I never I never watched it, and it was really weird because I, I watched a, most of these, 1991, sorry, most of these um, action movies from this time. But this is one that like really slipped me by. And there's about 40 different covers to this film, by the way. Um, and so this is a film in which Dolph Lundgren is so, so miscast. Um, he is a journalist, works for the New York Times, um, and he gets sent to, I think it's Israel. He gets sent to Israel uh, or Afghanistan where there's been a, where there's been a, um, like a bomb has gone off in a military base and he goes in to reconnect with his old friend and his ex obviously is like ex-girlfriend uh who since got together to sort of get to the bottom of it and for no reason at all really he just like it's obvious that there's like some dodginess going on and like, the military trying to cover some a cover up if you will and he just really throws himself into it um i'm going to spoil this film because no one really needs to watch it it, so he is the problem is it was the same problem I had with uh, what was that film called in the cold light of day with mm-hmm. Henry Cavill where he's miscast as like an IT nerd and yet yeah. he's like six foot five and like built <laughs> built like me when I've had 16 pints in my mind. <laughs> so he, it's quite he ironic just, uh, that he is actually an IT nerd in real life though. Yeah, that is true, actually. But yeah, of course, so he's running around in that, like like panicking and running away from Sigourney Weaver and getting into fistfights. He would do it clearly just punch the other guy until he looks like a milkshake. And and then he's just, but then just getting like just thwarted at every turn. And it happens in this. It's like Dolph Lundgren's really determined to get to the bottom of this um, this mystery. And he's just walking around with like a towel on in his hotel, just completely ripped. And then he'll get into like a really clumsy fist fight with someone who's like the size of one of my legs. And you think you you would literally just beat him up, even if you had no combat training, you just through sheer size. Um, uh, the, the way the film pans out, right, is that he's trying to get to the bottom of like what, what's going on. If, if there's some sort of cover up, they think that Lou Gossett Jr. is see on the cover of this now, it says Louis Gossett Jr., Oh, it's pissing me off. Right? Yeah, I think I know him as Louis Gossett Jr. I'm just going to call him Louis Gossett Jr. Okay. It seems weird saying Louis. So it's a nice cover, mind. Oh, it's of a certain era, yes. It is of a certain Dolph era. Dolph Lundgren and... is wearing a black turtleneck. Huh? Yes, he is. And Louis Gossett Jr. is holding a gun that he doesn't brandish in the film. But I like the uh, faux like um, paintbrush effect, and I like the font. It's nice, bold. Well, we can move on then. Yeah, great font. So that's the end of that. That's a great cover font for this one, guys. Um, so the way the plot plays out is that Louis Gossett Jr. is made up to be the sort of villain from the start, and he's acting incredibly suspiciously from the start as well. But it turns out that um, Dolph Lundgren's friend has faked his own death, and his and his the, the girlfriend he had that doesn't speak to him because uh, he, he he basically went to Simon didn't talk to her for a year and she said oh obviously on that year I've, I've got with your friend now so that's that and she said why didn't you I know you were like working but he's a journalist it's not like it's mysterious or undercover he said oh I, I kept trying to call you I did leave you a message and she's like no you didn't and, oh okay I was like well so there's no stakes here really is there if I didn't speak to an ex-girlfriend that I just up, up, up and away in the middle of the night, then it, and I and then a year later I'm like, oh, you with someone else? You and so yeah, why didn't you call me? And I said well, I just didn't. But why? There's no stakes there, is there? Like he obviously doesn't care about it. Um, so the film mm. rocks on, and then it turns out that his friend has uh, faked his own death, and his this 
this woman is in on it, which makes no sense because she is feeding Dolph Lundgren information that actually interrupts the overarching plan. And it, 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 re- it reeks of a film that was, if this was made in the 70s, it would have been a really good espionage spy thriller with someone smoking a lot of fags and panicking, which is basically what I want from 70s films. Uh, because the way it gets to the climax is he is there's this gas that's going to be leaked that's going to kill this entire city, and he has to stop it. And it's a really weirdly visceral like last minute chase, and and, and this is spoiler tastic, but it's yeah, I don't care because it's over twenty years. He ends up like getting shot and dying as he saves the town, as like he he totally sacrifices himself and gets shot and murdered in this really heroic sacrifice. This really kind of understated and like lingering in the way it just as the bell chimes that he's sort of stopped from setting off this bomb. He's sort of this this unknown hero, and I thought I really feel like the last fifty minutes. Would have well, this whole film would be better if it was just really focused on the on on the actual cover up aspect of it, and this was filmed in a real seventies style with like a lot of noir, and then the ending would have much more of an impact. And it, it, when I was watching the film, I just thought this is just nonsense. This is just like total throwaway like nineties nonsense. But then I was quite invested in the last fifteen twenty minutes of it, and I just wish it was a different film. <laughs> it almost redeemed itself. Yeah, it, it, I wish it was just more cleverly plotted and wasn't just, you know, full of aha moments. Like mm-hmm. it's trying to be, it's just not well written enough to, to make them stand up. But it is, uh, the last 15 minutes are good. Yeah, but is it is it worth it for those last 15 minutes? Mm, I'd say no. It's one of those films that, you know, imagine, this isn't what happens, but if you imagine like Dolph Lundgren say tied to a chair, and his friend comes out and he's like the villain and it's haha. And Dolph Lundgren just starts questioning about his motives and stuff when really, as the bad guy will be delivering his monologue, if it was really realistic, Dolph Lundgren will be going, what? What? Because ah. it's like, this, this doesn't make sense. And then the more he talks about his motives and the more you think, no, you're just making this even messier and like it's even less coherent now <laughs> because you, you, what you're doing really isn't clear. But it's a good final sequence. What's this on? This is on Prime, isn't it? Surely. I picked this up from a charity shop for 49 oh. pence. Okay. Possibly not on any streaming services then. <laughs> I don't need the next one I'm going to talk about after you. <laughs> don't worry about that, my boy. So we're going to have to trawl through the uh, charity shops in order to get hold of that one. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, y- you can watch... Uh, the next one on Rakuten, the worst streaming service. Uh, and it's called Spawn. It's a oh 1997 comic book adaptation. Um, so this is an origin story about a US Marine played by Michael J. White who gets stitched up by his boss, Martin Sheen, on a mission to North Korea. So Sheen thinks that he kills him using this biochemical, but I don't, why he doesn't just shoot him, I don't know. Anyway... So, um, somewhere after this, Michael J. White makes a deal with the devil and is resurrected as a Hellspawn mutant and de facto leader of Hell's army as well. But Michael just wants revenge. Um, However, he's constantly hassled by one of Satan's minions to hold up his end of the bargain and become Hell incarnate on Earth, basically. So it's a massive revenge fantasy, really, which makes it kind of 
a bit simplistic and dated anyway. He he's not really out for any higher purpose. I mean, he he occasionally defends the odd street urchin, but really he's just quite one note. He's just angry. And Michael J. White, I d- is he an ex-wrestler? Maybe? No, he's a martial artist. I'm going to have to correct you, Ruben. As I found out myself when I was watching an interview with him with Scott Adkins, it's Michael J. White. Michael J. White. Oh, Michael J. White. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, he can't act, and he, he's got no charisma. So he is a henchman in superhero clothing, basically. John Leguizamo's character in this does add a bit of colour to proceedings, he is, he is, is unrecognisable. He's this obese, mad clown character who's there to torment him, and he eats a pizza covered in maggots and stuff. He's pretty bonkers. There's also this other mentor who's almost like the other side of his, uh, his conscience. Some He looks like a conquistador or something from the 15th century. I don't know. He speaks his lines like they're being fed through an earpiece, to be honest. So Martin Sheen plays a bad guy. He's like a, a cackling pantomime vizier. He's ridiculous. There is... What else is there? There's a dog named Spaz. Oops. So I think, on in retrospect, I think he's named after the visual effects supervisor because he's his middle... His like, nickname seems to be Spaz. So, But more on the visual effects later. The storytelling is unbelievably clunky. Like... His constant voiceover explaining why he is where he is. Or there'll be like a montage of memories to clarify why he's pulling a certain face. Or Probably something. my favourite Dream Theatre album, I think, Montage of Memories. It was a bloody cracking album from 1982. Uh, and now I have to mention the hell scenes. The scenes <laughs> in hell. Wow. The devil. I guess he's the devil? Yeah, he must be. Anyway, he looks like a PS2 video game boss yes ps1 i remember i watched this i watched this on vhs first time and i couldn't tell what was like the character or what was just bad background flight i couldn't my eyes couldn't understand that there was something in that awful cg world they don't seem to have worked out how to animate him just closing his mouth it's ridiculous like <laughs> apparently most of the final kind of like effects um were still being done like two weeks before it was before the film opened so that might explain some stuff um yeah there's loads of flashbacks and exposition the film jumps all over the place the script is so bad the action scenes are literally interrupted mid-flow so characters can explain stuff to each other and it is stuff that we already like an anime it's it's amazing and they're they're pretty boring action scenes because there's a lot of reliance on gunplay uh, it's just loud and chaotic uh, rather than inventive and intense, I'd say. Um, and then you've got this final confrontation, which is there's two final confrontations, one in a house, which is like a stage play where characters come in one at a time, which is ridiculous enough. But then there's a the battle in hell, which has the worst CGI I've ever seen in a mainstream big budget movie. Like you think about this in 1997. OK. So it was still pretty early on, but still, I mean, Lord of the Rings was what two couple of years behind this. It's uh, astonishing, and there isn't really much good about the film. Um, there's some Michael, Michael Jai White has has been in some decent low budget uh, karate films, and he is very yeah. good. Apparently, he's really well known for his kicks. It, what's okay. the uh, what's the the martial arts side of this like? 
I don't remember there being martial arts in it. I don't that I remember. Well, I guess they, it's they cast Michael Jai White like for the right reason then. Like <laughs> it's one talent and they've removed it. Yeah. Uh, some of the music is quite nice. Some of the ambient music is quite nice. Uh, I don't know, I'm really reaching for good points here. And, this, I mean, this is the film where I don't know if it was Laszlo or someone we both uh, used to work with who mentioned, is there something, his cape is really well animated? People have said um, this to me. I mean, it's it's quite flamboyant, but I mean, it's very, it looks like a kind of river of blood type thing. I mean, I suppose, relatively speaking, it's quite well animated, but it also, it's it's kind of looks a bit magical. So it's not like it's, it really looks like it's there. It's okay. It's fine. But, it, you know, compared to those hell scenes, which are just, they're Albert Pean level. They're, they're like interstellar civil war level. And yeah. Um, and of course, all of this, it's all a bit pointless anyway, because then of course, Hellboy came out and which is not a dissimilar premise. And it's just so much better, obviously, like where you have this kind of like hellspawn antihero in the middle of it. And but of course, clearly, Guillermo del Toro's two Hellboy films just are infinitely better than this. This film has 5.2 on IMDb somehow. Like that's above average. Like technically speaking, mm. you know, Catwoman has 3.4, and I mean, like Catwoman's bad, but at least it has some kind of like breezy rom-com charm. Like Spawn is just utterly grim in every regard. It's terrible. It is sub ninety minutes though. I will say that, and it is still better than Albert Pean's Captain America. So it's not the worst superhero <laughs> movie ever made. Yeah, I, I just remember it is very dark, isn't it? I got a feeling it was kind of hot on the heels of the Crow, and it tried to get that that grimy New York vibe, but sort yeah. of failed. I remember John Leguizamo being fun in it, um, and I remember He's the practical effects fun. being okay. Yeah, I'm not sure whether how much fun we're really having watching him but he is definitely having a good time so good for him yeah, <laughs> yeah wicked but yeah michael j white if you want to see him watch him was it michael j white in black dynamite which i need to watch again he he, he, be, yeah. he's he's been in some really good stuff but yeah he, he's not not really the leader man for a film that doesn't rely on martial arts which is like his thing it's yeah. really strange now that i think about it because i mean i watched it the ps1 video game as well <laughs> it's not very good Rupert. Gosh. not very good at all unbelievable does it have better graphics in the film probably does <laughs> it does at least i can see between the flames probably my second favorite <laughs> dream theater album from like 87 i think yeah um so yeah, I, yeah. So Spawn. Well, you. Um, I'll move straight on to what I was gonna because it ties in nicely. I watched um, through like a whiskey haze um, the two Mortal Kombat films from the mid nineties, and I literally watched the, them back to back. So I watched Mortal Christ- Kombat on that one. Christopher Lambert original and the James Remar sequel. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, and, and but I have to say, right, I'm just going to cover these as one. W- watching them together is one of the most unbelievable experiences of my life. Careful now, because I do like James Oh <laughs> well, Yeah, no, I, I, like, I like James Ramon. And I've got to say, I don't mind Lyndon Ashby either. And I like Carrie Haruki Tagawa. So, like, Robin Schubert, like, it's fine. I've watched this film many times as a kid. Because I, I like, it's basically the quest. Just watch this. And, and then <laughs> John Glover and I said, we just do that, but call it the quest and get Roger Moore in for a bit. Um, 
Well, that was released the next year. But the thing about the Mortal Kombat 4, you've covered this before, so I'm just going to just breeze the two together here. It it kind of like roughly follows the plot of the games, and it's fine. It's a perfect big '90s kung fu movie, right? This this dodgy, tournament this dodgy, movie, so you get tournament battles, but in between you get the good guys fighting each other and stuff. So yeah, mm. good. So you need and Trevor Goddard as well from Men of War, um, putting mm. on a pretty unreadable accent. Um, but then uh, as Kano, but it's fine. You have got the people from the film, Christopher Lambert, um, who's always good fun, and. Like there's lots of practical effects, it's a pretty ropey CG, but it, mm. it's still a weirdly re- I find it a really weirdly rewatchable film. Um, I, that, and that's fine. It, it is what it is. It's it's a decent uh, '90s video game movie. That ends, and the second film carries on, and it literally uh, like I, I I'm intrigued about the difference in um, Mortal Kombat Annihilation because it's released two years later. Right? So the original Mortal Kombat the budget was 20 million and it grossed 122 million the sequel the budget was oh my god 10 million pounds more right I i'm so shocked at that i thought it was going to be about like whatever the director had in his pocket at the time because the whilst the original's got like this kind of campy fun you know like and it's very setty you can tell everything yes. is like a set which is which is fine it's great it's kind of like indiana jonesy sort of thing going on it's just a series of places for people to fight the, the sequel, it, it's like they said, right, um, no one's come back apart from Robin Shu. Um, so we're just going to save a bit of money on sets and we're just going to we're just going to CG everything, I think. And it is unbelievable. I, like The whole film is like some really bad early 2000s, like something from the sci fi channel. When it ki- when it kicks off, Lyndon Ashby's character, Johnny Cage character, is just replaced by someone else, and then just has his neck broken straight away. All the uh, the main bad guys are like CG, and of course, <laughs> James Remar comes out uh, as Chris- Christophe Lam's replacement. And who is Shao Kahn? An ancient, like ten thousand year old Asian sorcerer who rules all of Outworld under his father Shinnok's eye. It's Brian Thompson, the bad guy from Cobra. It, unbelievable. And, and he's, they must have seen Cobra and said, can you talk like a mixture between your character in Cobra and um, Brian Brassard when he's really nervous? So his voice is like sort of booming, but shaky. Um, he, he is, it, it's, a, it's just a series of unbelievable events. And it, I didn't realize the first one is like Christopher Lambert is Raiden saying Raiden, which is misspelled through all of the subtitles in both films, by the way. Um, it's like this is tournament. You're my fighters. It's good versus bad. If they win, it's bad. If you win, it's good. Everyone's a winner if you win. And look, and this carry Hiroki Tagawa over there, who's got luxurious hair and successfully in 10 years time will choose a 23 year old Russian bride on a Russian TV game show. Brilliant. Everyone's having a good time. <laughs> Annihilation starts, and James Jamar, after Johnny Cage is dead, and then Shao Kahn, Brian Thompson says, right, I'm I'm off back to, you know, back to look at a pit of fire uh, with a really closely shaved head. James Jamar turns around to the fighters, all of whom have been miscast, and this like follows exactly from the first film, and just launches into just a series of just guesses, effectively. So whereas everything was like very clear in the first film, very clean cuts, one of the charms of it, the second one starts with an invasion, which shouldn't have happened because of these rules that apparently no one can break in the first film. The second one, it's like James Jamar saying, right, okay, so Shao Kahn, he can do what he wants now. The rules don't matter. Um, and 
that woman that we saw that the other person recognized she's the key to all this we need to reunite them but she needs to first get her soul back and then that will stop the invasion and everyone just goes oh wicked right then let's get down to it no one says can we can we can we brainstorm this can we take what you've just said and get some like thought bubbles going on and just just try to work out how how you came to those conclusions um and it it just rolls on um james ramar of course when he gets his humanity back when he sacrifices his immortality he goes from having like sort of shoulder length um gray hair dressed in effectively like pajamas to another century pajamas to just having to dressing like kevin sorbo from the legend of hercules with duke newcomb's haircut and you think what what what's happening like what what's happening in every department of this film you need what what john r leonetti needed to do is get the costume designers in a room the storyboarders into a room the cg guys into a room and say what's happening what what is happening where's this 30 million some synergy guys yeah because i feel like I, the cutscenes are something from an atari 2600 game and like it's, people conclusions are just being reached um yeah and the, the fight scenes are dreadful as well because of course what you got is like it was bad enough with goro in the first one with lyndon ashby which is why it's a short scene because a man fighting you know a, a sort of uh, rubber monster will never look good no. in the sequel you've got people interacting with a mixture of rubber monsters and cg so it's just like fists being thrown and then you'll see a hoof stamping down and then lightning you think i don't i have no idea what's happening and then no. it's really being badly edited it intercuts between other fights that are happening at the same time which is something that didn't happen in the first film to keep everything clean so it's it's literally they said wow we've actually released a decent like video game movie that is done okay now let's not learn from that and all take drugs and then film something uh, so yeah it's it's baffling it's a, i can imagine this the watching these ones back to back would be very good for scholars of film just mm. just to say like this is like this is how you don't do things i can't imagine but, it being added to the syllabus to be honest i can i can <laughs> right university the Rakuten university <laughs> the worst university <laughs> mm. amazing um, where uh are these available on a service yeah or did you uh, or did you get a double pack from a charity you, shop if you could guess right i did get a double pack from a charity shop i did get hulk hogan and the ultimate weapon from a charity shop but if you could guess between netflix and amazon prime where watch for these two films where would you guess i'm gonna venture prime <laughs> it's um, prime they're primers they're both straight primers yeah good cool um okay so I was right to not watch. Isn't there another more recent? Have you you watched the recent Mortal Kombat film? Yeah, yeah, we got yeah, we got we sent a it. screener of it from Warner Brothers, and um, yeah, it's fine. It, it it's more serious than the first one. Like Annihilation is just a total joke. It's an absolute waste of everyone's time. Um, but I think if you want something like '90s and schlocky and fun, Mortal Kombat's fine. The mm. remake is kind of too self serious. Okay. It's just yeah, hasn't quite. I, I I think the best thing about the original Mortal Kombat is the tone. It does hit the right tone because it is very silly, but has uh, has yeah. a kind of like uh, muscularity to it. I don't. I think it's because of the physical sets and stuff. 
Yeah, and it's um, got a preposterous soundtracks as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's got like yeah, people who have like clearly defined powers as well. Um, you know, yeah. when they get into the fights, and and like I said, Lyndon Ashby is quite funny. Is like there's a bit at the start where uh, Liu Kang's character walks up to him on a dock and he says. And Johnny Cage says, oh, can you carry my bags me? Give him some money. And then he just chucks them in the sea. And he says, <laughs> then like, oh, glad I didn't ask him to park the car. It's like, totally fine. That that flies. Mm-hmm. It's the comedy in action. That's the level you need to be at for this. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Mm, okay. Um, right. I need to talk to you about a film called The First Power. Been <laughs> I've been looking forward desperate to this. to talk to you about this. Um, I will say I watched this on YouTube. It doesn't seem to be available anywhere else, um, but there it is. YouTube, Greek subtitles, obviously. So this is a 1990 neo-noir horror thriller thing that I've never heard of, but it seems to have actually done okay at the box office somehow, but there you go. And it, what a movie. It's just amazing. <laughs> Within 20 minutes, I'd ordered the Blu-ray. It's that good. Right. So it's... There's this killer, there's a killer called the Pentagram Killer who's stalking the streets of L.A. And he's a proper sadistic psycho. And Lou Diamond Phillips is a detective um, who obviously he teams up with a female medium to catch the killer. And she says she says to him when she they meet, I'm not a crackpot. I'm a professional psychic. It's like, okay, (laughs) you got the job then. Brilliant. Um, So, yeah, Lou's partner is uh, McKelty Williamson, who you, you will know from films like Heat, Forrest Gump, Con Air, uh, and he's always good value. And the pentagram killer is Jeff Cobra. Oh, you play pinball and Con Air. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah. Jeff Cobra is the pentagram killer. He's one of those, oh, that guy kind of actors. And he's genuinely unpleasant. Um, so that's cool. It is a just a parade of cliches. It's got the LA setting. It's got rival cop partners it's got this burned out detective who by the way is always on the fags and yet somehow maintains exceptional cardiovascular capacity so he's also unbelievably unprofessional like there's one point where he's like having a gunfight and he, he runs out of bullets and genuinely throws his gun at the bad guy it's amazing it's like something out of naked gun he and the whole fact of him just bringing along this uh, civilian who claims to be a psychic just bringing her along everywhere and no one seems to question this. He will just lie to innocent people to gain access to their homes and gain information. It's amazing. It's really unbelievably fast moving. Like there's barely a second of transition between locations. They just jump into cars and it jump cuts to them getting out of the car elsewhere. It's like Superman running into a phone box. It's kind of movie where they'll go to investigate someone's apartment and, and then someone will just, leave a crucial piece of evidence on the answering machine while they're there so it's just perfect really now lou diamond <laughs> phillips has a he has a standard issue modern police pistol right but it sounds like dirty harry's magnum every time he fires it's brilliant and there's a scene does it make that powder sound that they did in the 80s yeah the 70s thing. yeah wow. yeah there's a whole sequence where like Lou Diamond Phillips is attacked by this floating homeless lady who screams for <laughs> joy while she beats him up like the ghost of Christmas past from Scrooge. Nothing makes sense. Like, like it's clear that the bad guy has got some sort of supernatural element to him. But what can and can't hurt him is never explained. And his powers are never explained either. So 
It, it ends up with this fight above a massive vat of flammable acid in a water treatment plant. Um, and there's not a lid on that, is it? It's nothing. <laughs> of course. There are some genuinely well done scenes, mind. Um, like this one scene where someone gets trampled by a horse, which is really well done. And and there's a great bit where the bad guy leaps off a 10 story building and like lands gently on his feet, which is really cool. Uh, it's always inventive anyway. And I, I like the fact that there's this growing realization uh, in Lou Diamond Phillips that the bad guy is supernatural. It's just constantly amusing. It just adds a bit of nice internal conflict for Lou Diamond Phillips because he's so desperate not to believe it. And he is good in this. And, really? Yeah. And and it's got this... The music and sound design is so odd at times. It's got... Obviously, it's completely like... Well, I'd say, what is it? Like, it, it's 1990, but let's call it 80s. It's an it's very 80s in style. But then you've got, like, this music, which sounds like a kind of... It's all distorted synth sounds, like a 70s horror film. It's really odd. And then... It's got this re- relentless pacing and unpredictability and these ambitious stunts constantly. Like Every confrontation will end up with someone leaping out through a window or someone leaping in through a window or dying violently somehow. And <laughs> On a window. Yes. Um, <laughs> or cleaning a window. And it's a really satisfying mashup of like hard-boiled detective thriller, action movie and slasher. With a bit of paranoia thrown in, for good measure. I'd say it's the same appeal as the Maniac Cop series, really. And, uh-huh. yeah, it's amazing. So you do have to watch this. That sounds amazing. I, do you know what? I thought you would just say, like, oh, it's just total shash. But Stuart no? Copeland did the music as well, by the way. Is it percussion heavy at all? It is, yes. Uh, yeah, because I thought, I thought, I, yeah, I know him from, like, the police. And then I realised that he's actually really pro- prolific as a... As a composer film does it be careful then because I've, I've, I've other films i've watched where uh, drummers and percussionists have done the music mm. especially in the 80s it does that thing where it just goes i don't remember the music standing out particularly but it obviously wasn't too offensive i'm sure there's some synth in there oh, so as long as there's synth that's what you want <laughs> don't worry about that Yes. Jeff Cobra looks dangerously like William Forsyth as well in his latter years. But this, but this yeah. is, um, yeah, I'm I'm really keen for this now because um, this reminds me, uh, the way it's described on Wikipedia is a, as an American neo-noir horror film. It reminds me of Chuck Norris's, I think it's 96, Hellbound, right. or 94 maybe, because obviously he's a staunch Christian. He's always the good guy in his films. But the fact he was in, in one horror film really draws mm. me to it. I've never seen it. It's really hard to get hold of. Um so but not yeah, the this, Hellraiser sequel, though. No, no, <laughs> not no. that one. Uh, but yeah, the, the, this is this is this sounds really good. I'm keen really, for this. It's so good, and yeah, but it's only on yeah. Well, I suppose yeah, anyone can watch YouTube, but really, it should have pride of place as it should be the flagship film for, <laughs> for Orion Pictures. Yeah. With um, with you say this is streaming on YouTube with Greek subtitles. What yeah. is the the bit rate on that uh, it's it's not 4k <laughs> i venture um but it was watchable it was fine you know it was doable i i'm intrigued to see the blu-ray um transfer i'm guessing it's not going to be like a pristine remaster one might suggest is probably an sd transfer in fact 
why was this? It says, like you said, financial success with negative reviews. But from what you said, mm. it it sounds genuinely good. So I, it, 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 at least at the very least, it feels like something which should have more of a cult following. You know, like yeah. some films are just so kind of like bizarre. There's a lot of money thrown at them, and they've got some kind of like B or C list actors, and they're just so bonkers that they kind of capture an audience uh, a long-term audience over mm. years and i i never i've never heard of this uh and surprise but it's nice because it's nice to discover a hidden gem i say discover it it was brought to our attention by laszlo buckets i think wasn't it no it was it was actually um uh, faye's brother who just sent me a clip oh yeah of, of him ripping a seal the killer ripping a ceiling fan out of the, of the roof and then just running after people using it as a fly mode to chop them up. And, and yeah. I just thought, well, good, good. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't even mention that when I was talking, because it's one of the scenes which makes more a little more sense, tells you all you need to know, really. Yeah, I'm keen. I will watch that. I might watch it with you on Blu-ray. Who knows? Eh? Yeah, it's going to um, happen. Another film that you can borrow from me if you want. I've got it um, on DVD for 49 pence is Expect No Mercy from 1995, starring Billy Blanks. Mm. Billy Blanks, right, he can't act, right? <laughs> I'm on. just going to say, because um, with you know, we went through a phase, well, I suppose it's an ongoing phase, of trying to find a good Don the Dragon Wilson film. And it, we couldn't it's a long-term really project. It's a long-term project that hasn't really seen any any uh, any benefits as yet. And one of them was, in fact, was that Vampire Hunter one was one of the a film that I actually couldn't watch some scenes because it was so poorly filmed. Oh, is that um, one with all the like post-processing on some of the shots to make it a wobble? Yeah, yeah and it gave me a headache. It's like so, shake, but it was like ultra shaky cam, and it's just right. It actually felt quite unpleasant to watch. It did, especially as close to the screen as I was. I was so close to my TV, I was behind it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, expect no mercy. This is a film that kicks off. And Billy Blanks is supposedly uh, someone who works for the FBI, who is going underground in this martial arts... Well, it's like a martial arts village. Uh, sorry, a virtual reality um, academy. Where they what see year is this film made? This is 1995, Rupert. Okay. It's pre-spawn, right? Uh, but post seventh guest, which is handy. Um, <coughs> post lawnmower man as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah lawnmower man's a good point in terms of the visuals. So Billy Blanks okay. goes there, and they someone says his um, superior says you need to go undercover in this this virtual reality academy because we believe that it's they're saying they're just teaching people martial arts, but it's actually a front for a group of assassins. And Billy Blanks rightfully says, "What do you mean?" And then his superior says, "We believe that these people." are using high-tech uh, technology to go into virtual worlds so they can scope out like mansions and stuff and then in the real world then using the information they can break in and like and assassinate people mm-hmm. of course of course when it shows that is what's happening but when it shows how it works if you imagine um if you imagine that someone says to you i'll pay you a million pounds to kill someone they live in a heavily fortified mansion um, surrounded by grounds and you are going to go there, sneak past everyone, taking all out all of his guards and special forces. And then you're going to kill him and escape. And you were like, Oh, that sounds, that sounds tough. And they said, yeah. but don't worry. Um, I'm going to make you watch a cutscene from seventh guest first. 
So <laughs> what these people put on these virtual reality headsets, it literally is like 1995, you know, pre PS1 visuals where it just shows a really low frame rate kind of architectural program of just like blank fields going into like a blank empty house up to a blank empty room with a desk in it. So you wouldn't know where the guards were. You wouldn't know any yeah. patrols. You'd have no information beyond. So it's like not really any scene. better than just a kind of like a map. Yeah. Or, 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 or pulling up outside the house in a taxi, getting out and looking at the house from the street. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and then of course it just makes out that they've got all this information they couldn't obtain. Otherwise you think, no, it's no, that's not what's happening. You basically just cause you've played mist and then riven doesn't mean go in and, uh, and, and assassinate this guy. Um, so, Billy Blanks, for some reason, he turns up at this academy scene he wants to get in. And when he gets out of his car, for no reason at all, he puts on like a sports jacket and just zips up the bottom bit. Mm-hmm. Then he rolls up one trouser leg and pops like his jacket off one of his shoulders and walks in. Uh, and I, I couldn't, I don't, I don't know why he did it. I, I don't know what that was about. Um, Laurie Holden is in it, who people will recognize from The Walking Dead as a pretty woman, as she is pretty here. Um and yeah, it just it's just him just getting into fights and trying to kill the luxuriously hid leader Wolf Larson of this academy. It moves along as you'd expect, but it does contain a sequence. And this is this is the level of acting that we're working at, right? Or like screenwriting rather. He, at one point, he gets chased through the facility, and he's being chased down like a straight long corridor, and the people are about. 20 to 30 feet behind him, looking at him running straight ahead and chasing him. And to try and avoid them, he ducks into a sort of, um, uh, what's the word? Like a, not a what's the non cave? Like a, like a sort of um, a room to his right, an opening to his right. But he puts his back against the wall and looks where he was running to. <laughs> so that the people would be running behind him and just say, why is he ducked into that little cove and why is he looking where he want was going? Why isn't he looking? Why isn't he on the other side of the wall sneaking look backs at us to see if we haven't seen him, but we have because we're behind him. And then he just gets in a fight with him. It's like, if you, if the director can't be bothered to even understand like lines of sight, then <laughs> I'm, I can't get on board with it. I can't get on board with it. But some of the fight scenes are okay. They kind of, um, they're very sort of boxy and mechanical, but it, Billy Blanks can fight. and But it just proves that he's at his best in stuff like Tough and Deadly with Roddy Roddy Piper, where Roddy Roddy Piper can can bring the intensity and the sort of comedy, and then Billy Blanks can bring the, the actual sort of acrobatic fighting. He needs something else. This this film is, is not, it doesn't do that. And so it just, it's just him acting badly in like a really cheap set just mm. getting into unbelievable fights. And I'm pretty sure they just use the same henchman over and over as well. That's okay. not very good. Yeah, that doesn't sound so good. It was called Expect No Mercy. Yeah. Mm. Unlike Cover Up, the words are spoken in the film, and in both films, so, they're post-dubbed. Wow. Like they hadn't settled on the title yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. But, it's not ideal. It's not. It's not Billy Blank's best. That's tough and deadly. Clearly. Um, okay. What was this on? <laughs> that was from a charity shop DVD for forty nine oh, pence. Yeah, that was it. Yep. Did anything else on there? Was it double sided disc or? 
<laughs> no, no, it's just on one side. If I turned over and cover-up was on, then I could have saved 49p. I would have been gutted. <laughs> um, I watched the Poseidon Adventure. Not that one. Wait, or the that one. Ju- right. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, the one with Kurt Russell in it? No, the original. Right, okay. But there are two other versions which I wasn't aware of. Obviously, there's the Wolfgang Peterson one from 2006 with Kurt yeah, Russell. Yeah. But before that, I think maybe the previous year or something, there was a TV movie adaptation, right? And it starred the following. Adam Baldwin, Rutger Hauer, Steve Guttenberg, Brian Brown, C. Thomas Howell, and Peter Weller. And now that is a film I have to see. That's pretty much my perfect cast. You're alive. Do you know, I dashed off then, and I'm going to keep this in. I dashed off because you were talking about the side adventure, and I thought, oh, some 60s bollocks, I'm never going to bother watching. And I thought, I'll quickly top up my wine. And then you listed that cast, and I was like pouring, thinking, poor fast, I need to go back and acknowledge that. Because that, <laughs> that is like, that's the most astonishing cast I've ever heard. It's amazing, isn't it? C. Thomas Howell, do you remember? He, I realised C. Thomas Howell, oh and I think a lot of people are struck with this problem, when they, they, they who was the guy in American Assassin that I quite like, but he was miscast? Oh, D- uh, Dylan... Dylan. Warren. <laughs> Dylan O'Brien? Is that it? Yes, yes. Not Dylan McDermott, whom I fancy. Yeah, we're people, right? They, they, they're kind of limited. And in yeah. the same way that, um, oh, God, I'm, who's the guy who looks like um, like a, a thinner, younger Jack Black? Uh, come on, um, Rupert. You know the one I mean? T- t- Tyler something? Taylor Kitsch? Taylor Kitsch. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he just looks not. like get oh, honestly get a bit of a beard on him, and he just looks like a thinner, younger Jack Black. He's got the <laughs> same eyes and eyebrows. Oh my goodness! You no, say this, I can't unsee it now. Um, just hang on. But see Thomas Howe, yes, I realise obviously that he was. Hang on, no, it's not Taylor Kitsch. <laughs> no, I was going to say, doesn't really. How am I going to work out who this is? Um, it's going to be a tricky one. Uh, well, well, I do work it out anyway. But yeah, just to say that the, those people. Um, they've got... Oh, uh, I know the one you mean. What's his name? Uh, he's in the uh, the autopsy of Jane Doe. Yes. What's his name? And he was in um, Into the Wild. Emil Hirsch. That's the one. Yeah. So you click on Emil Hirsch, right, on Wikipedia. He really it's does just look like a young, does, younger yeah. So, so, so my my point is that they they cursed with just looking like boys. Yeah. Like he, he, him, and um, and Dylan O'Brien. So when they cast as like hard asses, the same as C. Thomas yeah. Howell, because of their build, they just look like they're pretending to be adults. C. Thomas Howell, yeah. Obviously, the Hitcher, great, but we've tried to like him in other films, and he's just unlikable. Sweeper, you know? Sweeper is the only film you need to watch. Um. Anyway, so the Poseidon Adventure, this is the original from 1972, uh, based on the novel from 69. It's a disaster movie about a luxury cruise liner, which is hit by a 90-foot wave in the Atlantic, and it causes it to capsize and flip upside down. And the survivors basically need to make their way up slash down to safety. Um, And that's it, really. Obviously, it came out around the same time as 
the disaster movie boom, you know, like alongside Towering Inferno, Earthquake, Airport, and obviously it's produced by Owen Allen, because that was his thing back in the day. It stars Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine, which is like too much testosterone to handle, frankly. You skip Roddy McDowell in there, and Leslie Nielsen is in it as the captain of the ship. Wow. And <laughs> Shelley Winters is in there as well, which is a nice part. And the yeah, the way the script introduces his characters is shall we say economical. There's just like a series of scenes at the start where characters basically take it in turns to introduce themselves through some pretty clunky exposition. Oh, so it's speed dating or something. <laughs> it's like it might well, they just sat there and they'll just it's like Shelley Winters would just be saying to her, like her husband, "Oh, I can't wait to see the grandkids on the other side of the on in this location where this ship is heading. Hope we don't hit any waves on the way, you know that kind of thing." And um, the production design is lavish, and there's some good model work to depict the liner. Of course, it's just a model just filmed in slow motion in a bus, but still, it looks pretty good. The disaster itself is quite well done. The capsizing is pretty well handled. There's a bit of the old Star Trek original series, like leaning going on, but um, but there's also it's it's pretty kind of like chaotic and and brutal actually the capsizing. So it's quite well done. There is this weird silence afterwards, like no screaming or anything, and no sounds from the ship, which I found a bit odd. But anyway, it's you know that's quite a central point, but. But really, from then on, it's about this kind of survival, kind of just getting to the to safety, really. And it's led mostly by Gene Hackman, who, who's this heroic priest. And then you've got he's kind of his co-leader, I suppose, would be Ernest Borgnine, who's this very sceptical ex-cop. And it's really them going head to head a lot of the time. And it's just a linear journey, really, up towards the hull whilst the water rises up because they're sinking. And it's quite a cool concept. And like all disaster movies, really, it's this to and fro between like problem solving scenes and interpersonal grief drama, really. I'd say the depiction of women is somewhat dated, shall we say? There's like there's one fat lady who's negative about everything. There's this like angelic passive virgin. There's this panicked hippie musician and a shrieking prostitute so they're all in a state of complete panic and none of them are practical at all so it's it's a little dated in that regard this there's almost certainly like a christian reading of this film and i'm sure someone's written a book about it but because you've got this practically minded preacher with this like his his power really is persuasion and he has of course this group of followers who are really just following him on faith he's got no plan as such um so he's just mostly leading through belief and then there are those who doubt him but he even brings them around sort of thing and there's even this like really on the nose holy light moment at the end so uh yeah it's uh it's dated in many ways but i think it's one of the better disaster movies from the period i would say Alongside Towering Inferno, but it's got better performances than Towering Inferno. And the effects hold up okay. And I think Hackman and Borgnine really carry the movie, to be honest. Although there is one really, really cool scene with where Shelley Winters gets her moment. And that's a nice scene, but also quite a sad scene. So that's pretty cool. 
Um, yeah, I liked it. And I think it would have probably been 72. Yeah, probably would have been pretty amazing at the time. Like it would have been pretty big scale. The, the cheapest I can find the Poseidon Adventure, the one that's going to be better than this from 2005 with Brian Brown in it, is £5.88 on eBay. So okay. I think you need to get cracking on that because I am intrigued about that. <clears throat> that cast. I think it was a TV movie, which obviously limits its availability. But it's the same problem I have with um, being a fan of Brian Dennehy it, because he did a, he did a lot of like TV stuff. And I'm like, oh, I know that's going to be yeah. just like I can see where the adverts would have been inserted, and it would just be quite sort yeah. of um, like what's the word diluted. I just want to see him in, like as a really hard smoking cop. Um, it's the same not even we're trying to find a good 4K transfer of the Tommy Knockers with Jimmy Smith, isn't it? <laughs> I remember when I watched uh, the first episode of Mammy Vice about eight, ten years ago, and I was like, "Oh my god, Jimmy Smith is in it!" Oh, he's dead. <laughs> oh, before before Jan Hammond even kicked oh, in, he was dead. Tell me who's wearing a Hawaiian shirt at least. I'm pretty sure that not all of the buttons on his clothes were done up. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, okay. So where are we? We're, oh, Christ, we're quarter to a, quarter to eleven. Um, there's there's a few here. I'm gonna. I might try and see if I can pound through a couple of okay. that's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> How many have you got left? Sorry. I've got one if needed. Although I can I can always roll no, no, over. No, no, do the one, and then I'll just try and pound through a few. You sure? You want me to do yeah, my yeah, one yeah. now? Yeah. 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 Go on. Go on. Okay. Let's do this. Okay. I'll I'll talk about Borg versus McEnroe. I told you these are all over the place, which is on Disney Plus. Um, oh, by the way, Poseidon Adventures on Disney Plus as well. So, Borg versus McEnroe. This is a 2017 drama inspired by real events. Um, it's, it stars Sverrir Goodnison and Shia LaBeouf as the respective tennis combatants. Uh, I'm, it's amazing, but I, I, I purely watch this film on the strength of Shia LaBeouf. That's how much I like that actor now. Uh, anyway, it's it's set mostly in 1980 at the time of their Wimbledon final clash, which is regarded as the best tennis match ever, supposedly. So it's all about the build-up to that match, and there's this whole web of flashbacks to explain why Bjorn Borg is basically a charisma-free automaton and why John McEnroe is so ruddy browned off all the time. And... And then, of course, it culminates in a recreation of the match. Uh, I, I say the match, the highlights of the match, because apparently the match was like four hours long. So they're very p- different personalities. Borg was very calm on the outside. And obviously, McEnroe was famously wore his rage on his sleeve, so to speak. And I think the film attempts to show the kind of the opposite for each of them. So it attempts to show the, the emotions beneath the surface on the part of Borg and the vulnerability behind the kind of bluster of McEnroe and this it, it also is against the backdrop of like the the media is just obsessed with Bjorn Borg because he's like the golden child and McEnroe is basically ignored or criticized because he's like this angry upstart so that bit was quite interesting I just didn't I didn't realize how utterly loathed John McEnroe was at the time and no I didn't realize that but um, it's I, I, it's all very grim and humorless, I'd say, which is surprising given that I think John McEnroe is, in, is inherently hilarious anyway. Like, I, I get that it, it is a movie exploring 
innate male rage, I suppose. So it wouldn't really want to admit that have people having public trans tantrums is actually really entertaining. But like what it really means for the film is that it's a lot of shouting at inanimate objects and and both athletes would will like their dramatic moment will be like running powerfully through streets while doom laden ambient music just roars in your ears. And it's well acted and kind of boring really. And like there's even like this whole sequence where where Bjorn Borg like goes to like Studio fifty four in the late seventies, which is obviously the most like thrilling place on earth at that time and yet there's no thrill in it at all because it's because of the way the film's made it's all very worthy and just a bit serious so it never really lets rip you know it's all about the I, inner battle and the inner battle is not disco music so it's it's a, a plaintive piano piece and lots of characters with grim faces even the final match has like a plaintive violin like, sh- like wailing over the top of it i mean come on one of the things i often say when i'm watching films to to phase every time i'm watching a film and they go to a nightclub or or some like bar i think it just looks shit just looks like it's full of tosses and not having any fun yeah no one's having any fun so yeah i I wonder if there's if anyone can think of a film they've watched the men who talk at outlook.com and and just a film you think oh actually i would like to go there i would like to be at that party i would like to be at that bar or nightclub the worst ones are like sci-fi movies sent dystopian futures and they're just like you go in there it's just like really abrasive industrial techno and like people just fighting <laughs> and then like women in cages and stuff and it's, yeah, like, with, it's with just like people with glow sticks up their ass and you're like mm, I, I, I probably wouldn't go there to be yeah. honest he looks like, it, like every one of them looks like a Gaspar Noe film it's just horrendous um, yeah, and you, you never see a film like in you're set in like the far like alternate future where that's happening, women in cages, glow sticks up their dicks, dancing and like water being sprayed everywhere, and then it cuts to the main protagonist arguing with the bouncer saying, Fifteen quid to get in, there's no one in there, mate. I'll give you five. And <laughs> it never happens, does it? How about the club at the start of Blade? That looked alright, didn't it? Oh no, he gets torn apart limb from limb, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> What about Michael Douglas's clothing in Basic Instinct? That was all right, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. It's a yeah. deep blue woolen V-neck. <laughs> His hair is slicked back. Um, <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah. So there's, there is, there's a scene where Bjorn Borg is like, like to represent his inner turmoil, you see him just like writhing naked on the floor of a shower. And weirdly, the film that jumped to mind was um, Sylvester Stallone getting it on with Sharon Stone in that massive shower in The Specialist, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, Enormous shower. It's colossal, isn't it? Um, And on also, it does that classic, like, celebrity biopic cliche of, like... Not having them in the film. Not having them in the film. Uh, No, no, no. Although, of course, it does have the cliche of them having, like, um, black and white photos of them at the end, naturally. And there's... But there's loads of scenes where like both players will be sitting in rooms with these marketing and media people offering them hundreds of thousands of pounds for stuff they don't particularly want to do. And and, and it's like, it's not the worst problem to have, though, is it? I mean, it's like, oh, no, I have to make a decision whether to sell the rights to my like wedding photos for 200 grand. Well, boohoo, to be honest, like it's not a very relatable problem, is it? 
<laughs> like if someone offered me a tenner for mine, I'd be like, yeah, why not? <laughs> and, you, um, and you took them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the performance is good. Um, and it certainly seems like a physical transformation, at least for Shia LaBeouf. But I, I just, the performances don't make up for the, all the cliches and the really like grim, dark tone or indeed the pedestrian nature of the storytelling. So I thought this was pretty average, to be honest. But, but again, still good Charlie performance. So he's keeping it up. He doesn't mess around that man, does he? No, he, plays, he does not. I don't know if I want uh, these sports movies. I, I tend to yeah. sort of drift away from, especially like you said, then Borga Macker is supposedly the best tennis match ever played. And you think, was it? I, <laughs> okay. Whatever. So, yeah, Just watch yeah. the highlights. Yeah, which is of the match itself. Yeah, and then and then just imagine one of them just looking like Sylvester Sloan writhing in a, a shower, going, "Oh, it's massive in you, absolutely massive." I wish Einstein was here, <laughs> <laughs> um, because they're obviously a camp Welshman from the valleys. I oh, watched. He was saying something in Swedish, so it's probably what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, he probably just shouted "smorgasbord" over again, wasn't he? Is that, that's what, Swedish. Is that a Swedish probably. word? Probably. We'll do. Yeah. Um, or Schartenjäger, my favourite word. I watched Midnight in the Switchgrass, which is, and this is the most surprising part of this review, Bruce Willis's last theatrical film role. Um, obviously, you know, with everything going on with Bruce Willis, this isn't going to be an attack on whatever choices he made in the, before his retirement, but it's just an attack on the fact that he, his character does not need to be in this film. It's based on, it's based on it says, the infamous truck stop killer. And it's instantly a bit of a problem because you're taking like a real a real life killer and then making a really bad sensationalist film about about and, and changing the facts just to make it a really um really basic thriller, not actually like looking into the the truth mm-hmm. in any any real aspect. Megan Fox stars as Rebecca Lombardo, who seems to be it's. Re- Bruce Willis's character right, is so kind of added to this film that I, I didn't really know why he was in it. So at the start, Megan Fox is someone who is trying to lure the truck stop killer by going to motels and pretending to be a prostitute. And Bruce Willis seems to just sit in the car and just say, right, you know, get in there, do your job. And then in the next scene, she'll be saying to him, right, let's go to the next motel, then see if we can catch him there. And then he'll be saying, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And then in the next scene, you'll be attacking her for not wanting to do it. And it's like, was this film that a sequence and not edited properly? Because <laughs> I'm not sure either character knows what they're supposed to be doing in each scene. Lucas Haas, who was always reliable as a slightly dicky mm-hmm. guy, is is the killer in this. And there are and there are some nice scenes where he is being creepy, and you can see him trying to balance his sort of family life with his <laughs> midnight life as someone who's a little bit dicky, and. Uh, Emil Hirsch, which is why I mentioned Emil on, is a cop who is trying to, um, who is getting lost in the sort of the emotional, um, the emotional negative impact that his job is having on him. He just wants to kind of be a family man, but because of the sort of stuff he sees as he's a cop, it, it's it's making him realize how dark the world can be and it's affecting his relationship. Mm. Problem is none of these things really tie together. None of the people ever really meet and all of the plot threads are really stupid. So as the film unfolds, 
it just feels like a load of separate films. It feels like Godfrey Ho's done it. It feels like it's just a, some separate films. It just cuts from scene to scene. And even when the film reached its, its climax, I was I thought, oh, there's going to be another 15, 20 minutes. But it seems like it's, it's pretty quick. Uh, and, and, and it just sort of ended. And I think <laughs> it was like they had these ideas, but no one involved in the film was able enough to really make them cohesive mm. the what was I going to say you're going to say Emil Hirsch should have had a better career than he has had well, should he well I remember being really good in the autopsy of Jane Doe uh, he's good in Into the World he's in Killer Joe as well I remember it's oh yeah so, but just not had a good um, mm, he hasn't I'm had just... a good run of it um, but yeah, sorry, I've, I've totally lost my train of thought now. But um, but yeah, it, it and the, this film just seems it seems like it's put together from bits left over for other better film from other better films. Mm-hmm. The fact that on the cover of it, it's Midnight in the Switchgrass, and it shows Megan Fox and Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis is in the film for just a fraction less of time, less than I am. That's what I was going to say. Uh, Megan Fox apparently made this film after doing something that was a, a performance where she was quite acclaimed, and right. they said this was just like a real dud after it. But it seems like a film was made because it's like the director knew Bruce Willis and he said he would do it. If you know what I mean, and they were like, "Oh, we'll just get something around the fact that Bruce Willis is in the film," and uh, it's the fact that it's his final theatrical. I don't know how this film got in theaters. It's just a bit depressing. Mm. Where, what's it called again and where is it available Midnight in the Switchgrass and it was on Netflix it's not the catchiest title either is it really no and if you remember there's one called In the Tall Grass with oh God. Patrick Wilson whom we fancy and that was crap as well <laughs> it was the best was it yeah um, um, I, I've got a few I'll tell you what I'll do Oh, I'm trying to think. I've got a load of films left to do, but um, okay. I, I think I'll, I'll just leave them for next time. There's so, there's so many here that I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to do them a disservice, I suppose. <clears throat> um, yeah. Did I really get Midnight in the Switchgrass? That got a theatrical release. But I know that's quite yeah. shocking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, actually. It could have just been like some country I've never heard of. Yeah, theatrical release in Iran. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really bad. It, it, it's um, well, I've never seen. I know we covered Jennifer's body a couple of episodes mm-hmm. ago, but I, I'm trying to. When they said that she's done like a career high in whatever this film was, and then the, the, this was released after it, and it could, was a bit of a, a fall from grace. I thought, well, I've never really looked at Megan Fox as you know someone I would expect great things from. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it just seemed, but to me, like you say, with Emil Hirsch, he has been in some in some really good films, some sort of like slow burning dramas. But the, yeah, it's uh, th- this film just felt really disparate and didn't really didn't hang together at all. And it is sad; it's his last theatrical film. But then, you know, how true is that? Like you said, it could have just been in one yeah. cinema that was on fire in Merthyr Tydville. Oh, if only it was. That'd probably explain the uh, box office. <laughs> um, 
but well, we we covered a lot of ground today. We got to talk about Dolph Lundgren, and we got to talk about C. Thomas Howell. Are you going to order that Poseidon Adventure DVD? I don't know. I think I might have to. I'll look into other avenues first. Won't I? I, I I've got to say that um, I that for the Arkansas, I think you should choose it because. I've never done one, and also I haven't made any notes because I've been trying to get through as many of my films as I can, so I haven't been making notes as to who's in them. So, do you want to? Do you fancy knocking one up? Well, how do we do this, and how do you normally do it? You just take two random people from. Uh, I, I I try to make it from like, a man to a woman, you know, just to. Oh right, I didn't. Who's getting a little insight into your your work in here? Yeah, try to keep things even, Stevens. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so we've got. The films I've talked about, so you got Midnight the Switchgrass, you got what's that, Megan Vox. Yeah. Um like she's been in some Listen, big blockbusters as well. Yeah, she has, but she's also not been in that many movies. So maybe we should go with okay, let's go with Megan Fox to <clears throat> Megan Fox <laughs> Oh, that's what I try to do as well, sorry. It's like a man to a woman, but yeah. also from one of my films to one of yours. That's the oh, two right, things okay. I yeah. So you so okay so I, I got to pick one from. I was just about to say Megan Fox to Shia LaBeouf. They're literally in Transformers together. Yeah, um, not a good one. and it's the same generation. You need to. They're getting good. The listeners are getting good. We need to. I know they're getting too good. Uh, all right, Megan Fox to Ernest Borgnine. Then <laughs> nice. I'll tell you what, I'll try and do this one as well. Okay. Uh, well you, you can do it as well. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. <laughs> right, there is yeah. Well, 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 yeah, I'll definitely. <laughs> because <laughs> it's <laughs> impossible. I don't know. Maybe they were. <laughs> Maybe he was at a cameo in a Transformers movie or something. <laughs> on a picture on the wall. Okay. So, yeah. So, it's it's the time of the episode where we talk about the films of the week. I mean, there were a couple of mine that I didn't cover that I enjoyed both of the ones I talked about, but I was just working through my list as fast as I could. Um, I mean, for me, Midnight Switchgrass is bad. Cover up was was 15 minutes of the 90 minutes were good. Expert on Mercy was trash. Doctor Strange was okay. Spider was disappointing, and then I watched the two Mortal Kombat films. Oh dear! So quite the list there to choose. From. <laughs> I'm looking at the other ones I didn't I didn't talk about. And they're all better. Um, <laughs> brilliant. I'm gonna say. The original Mortal Kombat from 1995 yeah. was 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 fun. I had yeah. fun watching that. You always do. It's reliable. Well, for me, I mean, I I was it was nice that Clockwise kind of holds up, um, and uh, the Poseidon Adventure is good, uh, but then everyone knows it's good, and yeah, but clearly it's the first power with Lou Diamond Phillips. Because okay, that that's been the film of the episode for me because I really sometimes you, I still need to watch. Is it the Midnight Sky? I keep on the vast of night, the vast of night. Yeah, um, I keep on meaning to watch that, but yeah, that's a, that's the, a movie to sit down in front of late at night uh, with a nice whiskey. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, like Mortal Kombat Annihilation, <laughs> exactly like Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> um, it has, as always, been an absolute pleasure. And I hope we both live forever so this never stops. But for now, we must stop. <laughs> yes. <it is. laughs> um, so, yeah, um, yeah, have a beautiful evening. And, uh, yeah, the Arkansas this week, then, is from Megan Fox to Ernest Borgnine, which I've already done in my mind once. Brilliant. 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 Brilliant
I love you. Love you. Bye.